Welcome to the Kingdom Educators Podcast, where we empower Christian teachers to grab a hold of heaven's hope-filled perspective so you can activate transformational impact in your classroom and community. I'm your host, Jessica Glover, and I warmly welcome you to wake up to your strategic placement as a Kingdom Educator, anointed by the Creator and equipped by all of heaven to release the radical goodness of God that will transform lives and reshape education. host Jessica Glover and I am excited to continue our unit together on testimony and I had the privilege of meeting an amazing Christian man who has worked in public school for 30 plus years right Mike yeah sure yeah Yeah. and um, I'll introduce him in just a second here but through the rise up conference uh, it's an online summit that's offered every year by Christian educators and also teach for the heart I was able to be connected to Mike Hicks, and I would like to introduce to you today, Mike, and his wealth of stories of teaching connected with Friend Holy Spirit. So welcome, Mike. Good to be with you today. Yes. And we're actually going to do a two-part series. And his first part, I'm excited for him to share with you because he has a huge heart for working with the rougher crowd of kids. And one thing that I've heard him share a lot about in our pre-meeting was that he's got this story of helping kids to find the root of apathy. And wouldn't you say in this hour, Christian teacher, that apathy is a huge issue, (laughs) not just in high school, but uh, middle school and elementary, our kids are facing so many different challenges. They've been through different traumas and we feel the increase of all of that with having been through COVID, the online teaching, or even preschoolers who were living through COVID with mom and dad working. There's been all these different things they've been experiencing. But Mike, I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about your teaching background, where you're coming from, and then um, launch us into this finding the roots of apathy story that you have. Sure. Yeah, I started teaching back in 1992. I uh, I was a little older. I'd already spent some time in Chicago working uh, in a housing projects with Boys and Girls Club and had kind of heart kids that struggled from a rougher background. So my first teaching assignment took me into kind of an urban middle school in Southern California and then later a high school setting, teaching science and coaching wrestling. That was kind of my my gig, and uh, but always having a heart for the harder kids, Mm -hmm. trying to motivate them. And yeah, apathy is just every school would say that's a big issue. How do you get kids to want to learn? And in my case, my administrators pulled me aside and asked me one spring that if I would change my teaching assignment in the fall and add to biology three periods a day, if they they wanted to give me three periods of juniors and seniors who were behind in credits and wouldn't graduate. Mm-hmm. If they didn't pick up their pencils and start working, they were failing too many classes. But it turns out they were putting like 35 of these kids in a class. Whoa. And that's a lot. Rated, <laughs> yeah, apathetic kids. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I asked them right away, like, well, what's the curriculum? What, what do you want me to use with them? There's got to mm-hmm. be like a program or something. And they just said, we have none. And they said, we just want <laughs> you to work your magic. <laughs> and I was kind of like, what are you talking about? I mean, in my uh, credential program, there wasn't a class on that. You know, my tool uh-huh. bag was pretty empty, I thought. But nevertheless, I said yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next fall, I started this new assignment. Now, 
to do six periods. I didn't even have a prep period. They, they were giving me a class on my prep period as well. Oh my goodness. And I was, I was coaching the head wrestling coach at a high school of 2,500 too. So my life was really full. Yeah. But through the summer, I really uh, was like earnest in seeking the Lord on how can I get these kids working? Mm -hmm. You know, give me some help here. You know, I'm just really listening and praying over what to do and especially kind of terrified about the first week of school. They don't even have any homework yet, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they're going to have all these kids staring at me and I'm like, how am I going to connect with them and get them, you know, uh, to work. And the Lord gave me an, a kind of an epiphany during that season of seeking him that took me back actually 15 years earlier to the junior high that I worked at when I was on yard duty one day and I'm standing, looking down at about, 700 students on this playground and a street right behind me and uh, five gunshots ring out and I turn around and look in the street and there's a mound of clothing laying in the street. So in, in this neighborhood, that wasn't super uncommon to hear gunshots, especially in the evenings when I'd been down at school and had heard that before and in mm -hmm. Chicago, but to see a body right there so close to the campus uh, was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So my immediate in, uh, intuition was to get the kids to cover, you know, get behind buildings. There's something happening in the street. We, we might be in harm's way. Mm -hmm. But the kids did something surprising. They didn't take cover. They rushed past me toward the fence to see who the boy was. Everybody wanted to know who is it. And I think they instinctively knew the shooters after the last shot were going to be gone. Uh, that's what happened. Yeah. And so, uh, they all rushed to the fence. Um, I had a key to a little gate because there was room for two cars to park at the end of that building before the street. And mine was one of them. Uh -huh. So I went out into the street, locked the gate behind me. And that day, instead of teaching seventh grade life science, I was thrust into this role as a first responder. Yeah. Active violence. Mm -hmm. And this young man happened to be from an alternative high school next door and was walking on the street and two kids on bicycles across the street had opened fire on him for some reason. Oh my gosh. The images and the trauma of that, he had a pencil sized bullet hole through his head right above his ears. And there was a lot of blood and there was moaning and eyes rolled back and I'm standing yeah. over him. I'm stopping traffic. Everything kind of got surreal and just, I, you know, I don't even know how much time passed. Another teacher showed up with a towel or something and she was cradling his head in her lap and talking to him and wow. bleeding. And I'm like doing traffic things. And then pretty soon sirens kind of descended upon us from every direction, mm -hmm. fire department, ambulance, police. And then people took over. And so after a period of time, I, I ended up back in my classroom and it was empty. Yeah. It's like 11 o'clock now. I still got like four periods left of the day. And I find my students next door. Teacher had kind of whisked them all into her room. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get them back in my room. I was like 37th graders staring at me. And I'm just kind of rocked. You know, I'm just. Yeah. I can't I even imagine. I mean, I to teach after now. that. <laughs> I want to go home oh, now. My I goodness. want to sit down. I want to process what just happened. Yeah. And, uh, but I had 30 kids waiting for me to say something. Yeah. And, and so I just took a deep breath. I looked at my binder. I had all my lesson plans typed out. And I just told the kids, open your books. And we did science. 
I just did the lesson. Just move on. Got through the day and they were all very cooperative. They knew I was kind of shaken and that day was they were on their best behavior. Mm-hmm. And the next period and the next period and the next period. And then I got home that day. My wife was at a conference, so I was getting all of our own kids in bed. And it wasn't until I got in bed like later at night that it just kind of overwhelmed me again and yeah. uh, tears and emotion. And then that kind of went on. I realized now it was it was traumatic that, and it didn't just, it wasn't a one day and you're fine. Right. But I had to every day, one of the bullets that missed hit the door where I put my key in. So I was mm-hmm. like a reminder every day, this little bullet hole of what had happened right there. In your own car, right? That was your own car that got hit? It was the door to the building. Door to the building. Right in front of my car. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So car, car somehow escaped. The bullet, one hit the fence and ricocheted above the car. One hit the power box behind the car. In the building and one at the door. So three hit and one, I don't know. But I share that story because it took me a number of weeks to kind of get past that. And, and there was a conscious effort made. I've got a lot of kids that are still here. I don't know what happened to that one. He was, was alive when he left. Yeah. But I can't carry that, what happened in the street into the classroom now. I've got others to focus on. And so it was kind of a deliberate need to just sort of, put aside trauma and that event and do my job. Mm-hmm. So later when I'm praying and I'm asking, Lord, how do I reach these hard kids? He brought me back to that. Mm. And the Tiffany was, they can't do that yet. Yeah. When they have stuff happening outside of school or in their personal life, that's just rocking their world. They're not mature enough yet or resilient enough yet to be able to take a deep breath Mm-hmm. gather themselves and focus on what needs to be done. So I thought, okay. And it really boiled down to that question. What are the roots of their apathy? How did they get to this place? Mm-hmm. And realizing there are reasons why they don't care about school or they can't, there's no room in their life to care about school. It's on the back burner because there's other things on the front burner that are just paramount for them. So Mulling that over, when the first day of school came, I decided, let's just get real. So I just shared with them that story about the boy in the street and how I got through that. Mm-hmm. And and then I shared with them some of my own experience as a high school student calling the police on my dad several times for hurting my mom and just the violence that we had in our home and sitting at the top of the stairs late at night wondering if mom was going to be okay because there was noises and things going on downstairs and sometimes going down the stairs to check and having that turn on me. And was I caring about homework during those times? Of course not. My home homework, it was chaos. It was, it was fear. It was all kinds of things, but I didn't think about doing homework or focusing on things. It was just back burner stuff for me. So I shared some of that with them. Yeah. And I told them, I want to hear your story. And Mike, these kids have been through possibly similar things too, right? Because they're a rougher crowd. They're credit deficient. We're assuming that they have other distractors. Yeah, I was taking a risk there that if I shared with them my story and some and be a little vulnerable with them with things that I that maybe they would trust me enough to tell me their story. Okay. Yeah. Because I imagined that they had stories. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh boy, did they have stories because that week then I asked them to write. I said, I want to hear your story. Now, some of them were really guarded and they were just like, I'm not telling you my stuff. Right. And 
Oh man, they just poured their hearts out wow. page after page of stuff. And I, I get these papers. It took us several days. I had kind of a process. If you need help getting started, let's start in elementary school. Mm -hmm. Tell me your favorite teachers, your favorite subjects. What did you like about school? And most of them all had a positive beginning. Mm -hmm. And then let's move into middle school. What was that like? And then here you are now. And what's going on? You're obviously behind in credits. School is a struggle. How did you get here? What turned things that direction? And as they poured out their stories, you know, I had to qualify. If you tell me something that's going on in your life, I am a mandated reporter, so if there's things that are harming you, like abuse, or, and I went through a litany of possibilities. Some yeah. of you have violence at home. Some of you, we have students in our school being sexually abused, and so they can't focus. They don't know if they're going to be safe tonight. Others have alcoholic and drug-addicted parents, and home is maybe not safe. Is dad going to come home sober tonight? I just really got real on a whole bunch of things, and I can almost see kids look up when I touched on something close to them, like that like, rings true for me. <laughs> yeah. You can see the body language mm, or mm -hmm. heads dropping when I talked about abuse and see some heads go down. So I wanted them to know that if you are in one of those situations, I got to do something with that information if you share it with me. But what I will do is I'll go with you and we'll go see somebody. Mm -hmm. So, but if you're not ready to deal with that, told them, then don't share parts of your story that you don't want help with if you're in that place. But I'm not going to go run to your parents if you're telling me you're struggling with an issue, you know, like dabbling in drugs or some bad friends or whatever. Uh, that's going to be confidential between us. Yeah. So, so you're just really establishing trust even. Yeah. Like yeah. I am a trustworthy person. I know there's rough stuff. I, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I think later I realized what was really happening then was validating their struggle. Mm-hmm. Like I would pull them up then after that week, they started getting work in other classes. So it was, became a very structured study hall, get productive, get, get your work out, start working on things. Mm -hmm. And then I called them up one at a time and I went over their stories. Now reading these stories at home was heart wrenching. I can see. imagine. Wow. Uh, wow. Now I, it was like, now I get it. Of course. And a lot of it wasn't just one thing. It was a complicated mess of problems from mm -hmm. broken homes and incarceration and violence and drug and alcohol. It was just a whole moving a lot. Yeah. That was a big one. Like I've been in 10 schools in 11 years. I don't wow. even try to make friends anymore. Poverty, you know, moving from grandma's to Uncle Joe's to the motel on Union Avenue, trying to figure out how to survive mom, moving them around. So as I went over their stories and just kind of tried to validate, like, okay, help me understand. So, and I would reap, this is going on. So mm -hmm. you have a your dad, you don't know who your dad is. You got dropped here from Mexico when you were five and you don't know who your dad is. And you're wondering mm -hmm. why your mom abandoned you, mm -hmm. dropped you off with a relative, all of those stories. And so as I'm validating the struggle, you know, you could just see them like, and I really wanted them to feel like, okay, someone finally gets it why yeah. I don't care about school. There always came to the question, well, let me just ask you this. Do you want to graduate? And almost inevitably it was, well, yeah. Okay. Well, are you ready to make some changes? Because you're going to have to pick up your pencil. So yeah. let's talk about what that could look like. And I'd pull their grades up and look at their class schedule. And I literally had conversations with kids where I'm looking at their 
class load and I know it's going to be overwhelming for them. And they tell me like they're terrible at math or whatever. And I said, I'll tell you what, what if we just failed algebra right now and took it in summer school? Mm -hmm. Let's take that one off the map. What if we just got you some shorts for PE and some clothes? And what if I got someone to help you like in English do outlines for paper and started to find something doable? People that you told them we were going to fail algebra. Well, if they've got five F's and a D last semester, how about we just <laughs> try to get two F's, two D's and a couple C's? Yeah. That would be progress on the next grading period. And so we would kind of figure out some reachable goals and just start there. And soon as report cards started coming, you know, those progress reports and they see improvement. We, we charted the GPAs every grading uh. period. Yeah. Yes. And, and you would see confidence returning, like, maybe I can do school. I can do this. I only got two Fs this time. And uh, we had some incentives built in. So if your GPA went up, one girl had a 0.63 her freshman year and a 0.83 her sophomore year. She comes in this class, she tells her story, and she's one that was dropped here as a child from, uh, from Mexico struggled to find approval from boys because she never knew her father and had been through all kinds of bad relationships. Mm -hmm. And then she's in this class, she shares that story and she starts working. She's a very capable, beautiful young lady. And she gets a 3.0 GPA her junior year. Wow. That's huge progress. <laughs> yeah. She takes some, she takes some online classes. She did summer school. She gets a three point her senior year, picks up credits, and she graduates. And uh, I know her to this day. She's uh, she's her stories in in the book, Roots of Apathy. But we saw that happen over and over again. One thing that we found, you know, after short goals, you're still going to run. These are tough kids, and they mm -hmm. have they can be very disruptive. They have a history of behavior, behavior problems. I found that that connection I had with them because they told me their story, and I validated the struggle was the best classroom management strategy I ever employed, connection. Mm -hmm. When I needed to be tough and needed to be firm, uh, it wasn't a game breaker. It was like, okay, Mr. Hicks, because they didn't want to break that relationship. Well, there were some tough days and you would have to, I had to kick some kids out of class. But when they come back, it was like, okay, that was yesterday. You ready to go to work? There were boundaries. There was firmness. We have this notion, you know, tough love. These kids need tough love. And it's true, but we forget you have to love first. Yeah, they need to love see first, it. first, you can be tough. But if you try to be tough and you haven't loved first, then they just dig their heels in. Mm -hmm. They close their spirit and heart to you. And then it's like, but when you love first, then you can be tough. And they actually do want to pick up their pencil yeah. and, and work. And a lot of educators out of frustration understandably with these hard, unmotivated kids, they can get demeaning in the way they speak to them. Like, what, you want to work at McDonald's your whole life? That kind of tone does not help them out of the dark cloud of apathy. It only just become one more disappointed adult in their life. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I learned I, I had to even be tough, but not demeaning to maintain that dignity. Now, You'd ask about relational equity. Yeah, you talked a bit about that. Could you explain what yeah. that looks like? Yeah, I found that uh, just like when you build equity in a home that, that accrues over time and then mm -hmm. you can draw from it later, that relationships are like that. I just got this kind of odd connection that when you make a deposit in a relationship, you have something to draw from later. It's kind of like that love first concept. So 
I started trying to find ways, how could I build some relational equity with these hard kids? And that here's what that could look like. If I find out a student is involved in a sport, who's a, one of my struggling kids, I would go to an event just so I could watch them and they see that I'm there. And in class, hey, that punt run back was awesome. You've got speed. I can't believe how fast you can run, man. You were awesome. Bump. And that's it. Something on the down low, not too overwhelming, but just like that I noticed it's affirmation. Yeah. Like if I see somebody that's, you know, working on a science diagram and I like see some art skills, dude, you got some mad art skills. Have you thought about pursuing some kind of future in art? That's good. It might even be have a little graffiti tone to it, but I could twist that into an affirming <laughs> thing, you know, like, and a little bump and walk on. Those are the deposits of affirmation, encouragement, positive and feedback all pay huge dividends later when you need to say, where's the English paper? Yeah. You know, you were supposed to have the outline done and you dropped the ball here. We talked about this. Yeah. Get your pencil picked back up and get to work. Mm-hmm. And so relational equity can look like all sorts of things. It's usually small deposits, but sometimes it's big. Like someone tells you their grandma's in the hospital and you show up. Mm. Show up when the family's having trouble. One girl came to class always in clothes that weren't clean, hair not done. Her story was though she lived in a motel with her mom and a bunch of siblings and they didn't have a car. And so you think they're bouncing around. But poverty, you know how much work it is to do laundry for a bunch of kids when you don't have resources? You have to have a pocket full of quarters and baskets on a bus, and all of that is just difficult. And so she was a very withdrawn, quiet person because she was very self-conscious about her appearance and her clothes. Yeah. So talking to a counselor and got her pulled aside, and counselor had a relative who had a beauty salon and took her shopping and for a makeover. Oh, wow. That's so special. Got her some makeup and showed her how to use it. When she came back, she didn't even know that I was behind this, but I talked to the counselor. They pulled her out. Yeah. She came back with new pants, new shoes, a cute little blouse, a clean coat, and her hair done. Mm -hmm. Makeup. (laughs) Her whole countenance was different. Oh, wow. She was now like not feeling ashamed. Yeah. And confidence has probably risen as well. (laughs) Yeah. Those kinds of ways to um, invest in the needs, both emotional and physical, is just huge equity that you see um, dividends. The last thing I would say about working with these kind of kids is I had to develop a not yet policy. Okay. In the book, Roots of Apathy, I took about 35 of these students' stories and I wove them into a book for teachers called Roots of Apathy, understanding that subterranean world where students live and think and feel that you don't Mm -hmm. normally see. We see the outward fruit of apathy, you know, disruptive, disorganized, this and that. We see all this fruit that's negative, but what we don't see is what's in the roots. All those things I mentioned that are caused them to lose their way. Uh, But some kids, I would get very disappointed and discouraged because I couldn't, I felt like I wasn't reaching them. Don't fail. They're not working. They're not willing to change. But what I found with with many of them was I just had to have a not yet policy in my own heart. 
like, okay, they're not ready yet. They're not working yet. Uh, they're not ready to change yet. But that yet leaves hope on the horizon. Like, but maybe tomorrow. Yeah, that's maybe really important. <laughs> maybe after a summer, maybe when I get a little closer to adulthood, maybe a brush with the law, an expulsion, you know, a suspension from school. You just never know what factor. And so I, I found that if I just cared relentlessly, many of them would be ready at some point, but maybe not yet. Mm -hmm. Rather than to give up, and I had so many teachers tell me when I would get a student maybe moved into my class from there, oh, they won't try, although they don't care about school, or they're not going to work. And I had to just reject that notion. Well, that might be true today. Yeah. Maybe they're not ready to work yet. Let's just see about tomorrow. Yeah. And the next day and the next week. And in the meantime, let's just try to work with them where they are. And there, there were some that you would invest in and pour your heart into, and then they would disappear. They moved again. Yeah. Or they got expelled or they got arrested or who knows? We might never know what happened to them. And so you might like, we were making progress and then they disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but those that keep showing up. Yeah. You just keep helping them one day at a time. So, I mean, this kind of what I've talked about today is kind of all wrapped into that book, Roots of Apathy, where I use their stories to talk about like the effects of moving violence at home. It's not safe at my house. Mm -hmm. uh, telling their story, how to get them to open up. Telling their story is a, a chapter in there called Confession and Healing. There's almost like this healing that happens when they tell somebody what's really going on. Right. You know, now somebody yeah. knows. And they didn't reject me or like they still cared about me. Um, you might be one of the few people. You might, I think sometimes teachers are their last best chance. Mm -hmm. And they desperately need us to care relentlessly for them. And if folks wanted to find your book, maybe they're in one of those neighborhoods where it's rough and they're not knowing how to connect with students. Where can they find your book, Mike? Yeah, just on Amazon. Just search okay. Roots, of, Roots of Apathy, Michael Hicks. And I would say that it's not just in the rough neighborhoods. This class was actually in a very nice neighborhood okay, uh, where I went to coach. But every school has broken families. And these kids, they're part of the rubble of other people's um, dysfunction. That's so, a good point. Yeah. I, I was curious, too, if you could tell us, you know, you, you shared the really traumatizing story for you of the student who got shot right in front of everyone at the play yard on the street. And then you take that story and the Holy Spirit had you share it for this group of kids that was having trouble with credit deficiency and like, are they even going to graduate? But in the middle of hearing all the stories and connecting and creating those validations for students, what did you personally do as the teacher? Because we can't hold on to everybody's stuff or we're going to be so bogged down. We can't move forward for the next year. How did you let go of that? I think that's something that is really uh, a needed area to talk about. Could you share I think you have to adapt kind of this notion that you help the ones God puts in front of you. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, there's a sea of need. And if you, if you try to feel like I'm responsible for the whole sea, you're just going to drown in it. Mm -hmm. But who has God put in your life? I like John 15, 16, Jesus saying, I, you didn't choose me, but I've chosen you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last. Yeah. And that notion that I have been chosen and appointed, it's like an assignment uh, to have lasting impact. 
he didn't say that he was appointing me to every student in my school. Yeah, that's a good point. I love uh, where he said, what shepherd would not leave the 99 on the mountain and go search for the one that's gone astray? Mm-hmm. For it is not the father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. It would be pretty overwhelming if God had said, leave the one that's safe on the mountain and go find the 99. <laughs> because most of us feel like, you know what? I don't have 99 safe and one gone astray. I feel like that the script is flipped in my school and in my classroom. The needs are like opposite. Mm-hmm. But God didn't say, Jesus didn't say, go find the 99. He said, go find the one. So you can start your day with almost a mindset of, Lord, show me one today. Who's my one today? Mm -hmm. Because I have curriculum to teach. I have tests to get them ready for, projects to do, and papers to grade. In my class, I was able to focus just on this kind of relationship with a lot of kids. But when my biology classes, I had some of those same kind of kids, even some of the same kids. I didn't have time to invest in every kid the way I did in those special classes. That totally makes sense. Yeah. But I think a teacher could say, okay, who are the, who are the three hardest, most apathetic students in this period? Mm -hmm. How can I find out their story? How could I make relational deposits in a special way into those most difficult kids and make some kind of connection? I think we can walk in every day and just say, okay, Lord, who are the ones today? What are the special moments that you're going to provide for me to touch a life today and affirm a child in a way that's going to help them. And it might only be one moment with one kid. Yeah. yeah. That makes it doable. Who's my one today is just, uh, we have that on coffee cups. Who's my one today? Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, that's powerful. So you don't get overwhelmed with the need, but then just walk away with the small victories. Like, well, the best days of school usually have nothing to do with your lesson. Right. So too. They, have, they have to do with those days where something happened, where you connected with a kid or you saw some eyes light up or you had even a conversation with a colleague, but it's those special moments that make our days delightful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they usually don't have a lot to do always with our lesson plans. Yeah. Relational connections. So we can be asking the Lord, show me today some moments where I can have lasting impact in a kid's life. Well, thank you, Mike, so much for sharing about Roots of Apathy, your book and relational connection with kids and helping them to feel validated. I just think the things that you're sharing are really powerful, that relational deposit piece. And I know some teachers here will really be encouraged. So I appreciate you coming on to share your story. And we look forward to part number two, where you'll share a whole nother testimony um, related to connecting with other Christian educators in your area. Yeah, great. This has been awesome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends in education so they too can be strengthened and encouraged in living their kingdom identity out loud in this pivotal hour. And please visit kingdomeducators.com to receive your Kingdom Educator Daily Truth Declarations, my encouraging newsletter, and be the first to know about my newest resources online and in-person events. And be sure to find me on the socials at kingdom.educators. Until next time, don't forget you are a history maker and what you do every day is transforming lives.